reason I came to Turkey is because as I study the New Testament, one of the things that we notice is that most of the New Testament pertains to Turkey. Surprisingly, not Israel. Outside of the Gospels, of course, the Gospels tell us about the story of Jesus in Israel. But outside of that, most of the New Testament is Turkey. And I was wondering why so few scholars have been doing work and so few archaeologists have been doing work in Turkey. So I says, I've got to go over here and see what's going on. Well, that first trip just blew me away. It was the hook that uh, has brought me to Turkey every year since then. So I've been coming to Turkey for more than 20 years. Welcome. This is the Unconventional Ministry Podcast, where the conversation is about fresh ideas in ministry, innovative approaches, and collaborative efforts. I'm your host, Dennis Weens, Vice President for Ministry Partnerships at SAT7 USA. My guest today is Dr. Mark Fairchild. He's a professor of Bible and religion at Huntington University in Indiana, and he's also a world-renowned archaeologist, and you'll see why in just a minute when I start asking him some questions. Uh, you've made numerous academic contributions to biblical research. You've discovered several previously lost cities, as well as your crowning achievement. You identified and found the oldest synagogue in the world. And there's many more things we could talk about, but I want to welcome you to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much, Dennis, and pleased to be here, and uh, glad to share with your audience. You know, somebody last week uh, suggested I watch the film, The Last Apostle, and so last Sunday I watched it, and that's when I reached out. As I watched it, uh, you were trekking across uh, Turkey. Of course, Sat7 has a satellite TV channel in Turkey, and you were walking across Cyprus, and we have our headquarters for our Sat7 broadcast media ministry in Cyprus. So I was very intrigued and so reached out on LinkedIn and you responded. So I thank you for joining this podcast. And I'm fascinated as I begin to research and read some of the things you've done. Uh, one thing, uh, you've traced the hidden years of the Apostle Paul's life. And I think a lot of people don't even think of that hidden time of his life where we don't know much about. And then, of course, you've um, done so much research in the country of Turkey, and now you're researching the ancient city where the Nicene Creed. So let me start by asking you, as a Bible and religion professor, where does this passion for archaeology come from? Well, that's a good question. I uh, did my PhD, my doctoral work at Drew University, studying the Greco-Roman world. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize that it's really important to understand the background of the Bible in addition to the Bible, because it turns on so many insights and fills out the fuller picture as to why people do the things that they do and, and what was going on. And uh, the first time I ever came to Turkey actually was because of my daughters. I promised them that if they learned French, I would take them to France and they learned French. So I took them to France and then I piggybacked on that. And uh, we all came over to Turkey. And the reason I came to Turkey is because as I study the New Testament, one of the things that we notice is that most of the New Testament pertains to Turkey. Surprisingly, not Israel. Outside of the Gospels, of course, the Gospels tell us about the story of Jesus in Israel. But outside of that, most of the New Testament is Turkey. And I was wondering why so few scholars have been doing work, and so few archaeologists have been doing work in Turkey. So I says, I've got to go over here and see what's going on. Well, that first trip just blew me away. It was the hook 
that uh, has brought me to Turkey every year since then. So I've been coming to Turkey for more than 20 years. And you've been making some very, very interesting discoveries like the Apostle Paul before his experience on the Damascus Road and where he came from. And then, of course, that period of time where we really don't know much about his life. You've really researched, you've walked those steps in Tarsus. Talk to us a little bit about that region of Tarsus where Paul uh, really comes from. Yeah, surprisingly, probably the best-known figure of the New Testament, aside from Jesus, is Paul. But we really don't know much about Paul until Acts of the Apostles picks up in Acts chapter 13 and describes Paul's, what are often called his three missionary journeys. Well, actually, he had a missionary journey prior to what is recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. And so I'm starting to go back and to see who was Paul and what do we know about Paul. There was an early church father, a fellow by the name of Jerome, who gives us an important piece of information. And this is important because it's, I think, trustworthy. Because he tells us that Paul's family came from Gishhalav, or Gishala, in northern Galilee. Now, that's an unimportant city. Why would Jerome mention that if you know, it wasn't true? It's not like he was saying Paul came from a well-known city or town. The other thing is, Jerome mentions that twice in his writings, not just once. If we put that together with uh, what we read in Josephus, Josephus, of course, is the Jewish historian who tells us what was happening back in the years just prior to the birth of Christ and in the years following after the birth of Christ. We know that the Jews were rebelling against the Romans. Uh, and this is before the Jewish war that began in 67 AD. In these small little skirmishes, these rebels started out in Galilee. And what we know is that the Romans came in, sacked those cities. And when they sacked the cities, the residents were sold off on the Roman slave markets. And the Romans had massive slave markets. Matter of fact, the Roman economy was heavily dependent upon slaves and slave trade. That's probably how Paul and his family made their way to Cilicia, in particular, Tarsus. It's also probably how Paul received his Roman name. You're familiar with the fact that Paul was originally named Saul. That's a Jewish name, but he was given the name Paul. What we know is that when slaves were freed or manumitted, they were often adopted into their former master's family. If they worked well, if they were well-liked, you know, if you're a lousy slave, you know, maybe you're not going to be adopted into your master's family. But uh, we know that many former slaves were adopted into their master's family and were given Roman names. It's probably how Paul acquired his, his name, Paul, rather than Saul. So that turned on some interesting insights. Uh, I began to do research beyond that. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, the first time that we see Paul, Actually, Paul crops up a little bit later, but it's in the context of what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. Freedmen were Jews who were former slaves. Well, it also states that in the synagogue of the freedmen, there were people from Cilicia. Well, that's kind of Luke's subtle way of indicating that Paul was a part of uh, this synagogue. And then there's several other clues. We don't have to go into all the details, but several other clues that uh, suggests that Paul was a slave. 
So for instance, terminology that Paul commonly uses. When Paul opens up his letters, what does he say? Paul, a slave of God, bond slave of God. That's a that's one of the ways that he commonly will introduce himself. What is also interesting is Paul uses much more slave terminology than any other New Testament author. I think that's because it's a, a personal reflection of his background. Things like that uh, affect us throughout our life. Uh, throughout our lives, I think Paul, when he writes his letters, I think he's coming from that uh, perspective. It's very interesting. And after his Damascus experience. Then he went back to his home area before he went to start working in the church that we pick up in Acts. Yeah. Um, again, that takes a bit of research. Acts of the Apostles mentions that Paul was converted on the Damascus Road. He continued to Damascus. And then, of course, he was persecuted and driven out of Damascus and went to Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, Acts chapter 9 tells us, that he was persecuted by his former colleagues in Judaism. And from there, he went to Cilicia. Now, what Acts doesn't tell us is uh, what Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul fills out the picture a little bit more. He tells us that after his conversion in Damascus, he spent a short period of time in Damascus. We don't know how long. It could have been weeks. could have been a couple of months. But Paul then went to Arabia. Now, Arabia was the Nabataean kingdom. It's not the Saudi Arabia because nobody lived there. It's desert. Okay. It's the Nabataean kingdom. And you're probably familiar with the city of Petra. Petra was the capital city of Nabataea. And then from Nabataea, he returned to Damascus again. And then he was forced out of Damascus. And of course, we're familiar with the story of Paul being let down in the basket over the walls of Damascus. So Paul gives us a little more information about what was going on. He tells us that that period of time involved three years. And the years are important because I'm constructing a chronology. You know, when was Paul in Cilicia and how many years was Paul in Cilicia? So let's pick up the story again in Acts chapter nine. Uh, when Paul returned to Jerusalem, as I mentioned, he was persecuted by Jews. In their mind, he had become a traitor. He's become one of them. And of course that was not well received. So when Paul's life was threatened, they sent him, the disciples sent him to Tarsus. And Paul disappears from the narrative in the Acts of the Apostles until Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, Barnabas went to Tarsus to search for Paul. The word that's used here is interesting also, search for Paul. It's like he did not find him in Tarsus. Well, where was he? Well, Paul was probably in Cilicia doing ministry. And when we construct the timeline, this involved anywhere between seven to nine years. That's twice as long as Paul's longest missionary journey that's described in the Acts of the Apostles. So this is a considerable amount of time. During that time, what was Paul doing? Two things. Number one, Paul was rethinking his theology. What does it mean now that we have dis discovered that Jesus Christ is God who has come down and become flesh and has redeemed us from our sins. God was teaching him. So let's skip ahead. In uh, 2 Corinthians, when Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, I know I'm throwing a lot of information out here, but when Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he tells us that 14 years earlier, he was taken up into the third heaven, and there he was given a revelation. Well, let's do the calculation. We know when Paul wrote 
Second Corinthians. He wrote Second Corinthians in 53 or 54 AD. So if we subtract 14 years from 54 AD, we come to 40 AD. And 40 AD is exactly the middle of that eight-year period, seven to nine-year period that I'm talking about. So that's when Paul was receiving a revelation from God. This is where God was ministering to him and teaching him what was the significance of the Messiah coming. The second thing that Paul was doing was ministry. This is where Paul was cutting his teeth on how do you evangelize? And he went to this area called Cilicia. That's where I am right now. I'm going to be here until Saturday for them. And Paul was doing ministry, as was Paul's custom, in synagogues. He would go to synagogues first because he's a Jew, and a traveling Jew would be given hospitality. Traveling Jew would also be given an opportunity to address the congregation. And there in the synagogue, Paul would share with the Jewish people. Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And this is what Jesus has done to redeem us from our sins. Something else that Paul discovered during this seven to nine year period of ministry was that it wasn't just Jews who embraced the gospel. We also had other people hanging around the synagogue. They're described as God-fearers. These are described in the Acts of the Apostles on several occasions. A God-fearer is a non-Jew, we call them Gentiles, who's not circumcised, but they have given up polytheism. Instead, they believe that there's only one God. And so many of these God-fearers would go to the synagogue to listen to what the Jews had to say about this one God. And during this period of time, Paul discovered that the gospel was being shared with non-Jewish people. Now, I can't tell you how big of a revelation that was, because the Jewish people during the first century believed that the Jews were predestined to salvation. All Jews, even bad Jews, would receive salvation. They also believed that all Gentiles would be condemned. Even good Gentiles. Why? Because they didn't have Torah. The way the Jews understood Torah was Torah, and we're talking about the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what is often called the Mosaic Law. That Torah was considered to be the instrument by which you achieve righteousness. The Jews have it, and the Gentiles don't. So the Jews could accumulate righteousness. And it was impossible for the Gentiles to achieve righteousness. And so this was a huge revelation to Paul. And that's why Paul became what we know as the apostle to the Gentiles, not just to Jews, but to the Gentiles. Fascinating listening to you describe the chronology of Paul's early years. I want to remind our people listening that uh, leave us some comments, likes, and also uh, this is fascinating and probably some new information for you, and I'm sure that it's new information for your friends as well. So I would encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and let them get in on some of this fascinating information that Dr. Mark Fairchild is giving us uh, today. 
when Paul began to engage in ministry to Gentile people, he received a lot of opposition from Jews for the reasons that I've already mentioned. Jews believed that the Gentiles were condemned. So why would one want to bring them into the covenant community? But what's also interesting is that Paul received a lot of opposition from Christians who were also Jews. So in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council was convened. Why? Because Paul was doing something that in the minds of Jewish Christians, he ought not to be doing. So they met together. And one of the things that really tilted the, uh, the scales in favor of Paul was when Peter began to speak. What did Peter share? Peter shared, as we read in Acts chapter 10, that Cornelius, a Roman God-fearer, received salvation and was anointed with the Holy Spirit to confirm that he received salvation. And so that's when the early Christian church says, okay, we're going to make an exception here. Evidently, if God approves of these things, then we should as well. But that didn't end it. Paul continued to be uh, maligned for doing ministry to Gentile people. So much so that when Paul finished his third missionary journey, he returned to Jerusalem and James takes him aside. This is in Acts chapter 20. What does James say? Listen, Paul, there are many Jews who have believed. We're talking about Jewish Christians. And they have heard about you. That you're going out there preaching the gospel to non-Jewish people and telling Jews that they don't need to be circumcised. You see, that's a big issue. And so when Paul uh, received this revelation of what the gospel and what Jesus is all about, uh, he then began to do ministry. And he began to do ministry not just to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. And that all took place during that seven to nine year period. Let's just call it eight years. Okay, but that was something that absolutely transformed the, the church. And that's the reason why we're not Jews in the church. We are Jews, Gentiles. We're of all different nations and ethnicities. Listening to you describe all this makes me want to read more and follow some of your research. How can uh, we find more information or follow and find out what your conclusions are here in the months and years moving forward? Uh, how can people get more information on your, your journey? My website is ancientbiblicalworld.com, and I have a lot of my lectures from Huntington University. I've got many of my publications there. I have many photographs. There's a lot of stuff for people to examine. In our changing world, there are more ways than ever to do ministry. SAT7, as a broadcast media ministry, is changing how ministry is done. Through innovative approaches, collaborative efforts, broadcast satellite television, web streaming, and social media, SAT7 is making a difference. Visit SAT7 online today at sat7usa.org to learn ways you can be a part of this kingdom work. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. If you know of an unconventional ministry approach, please introduce us. We'd like to have them on as guests. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you.